On the 28th edition of the Twin Geekcast, Editor Bro joins us as we reframe the conversation around Roger Rabbit, collect them all at the box office, and discuss video game movies. We're not bad, we're just drawn that way. Movies and friendship, those are mysteries. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Where's your sense of humor? All right, welcome back to another week. This week, uh, we brought in uh, Bro here, one of the writers on the site, to talk to us about uh, all sorts of things. Um, we're starting off by talking about uh, some video game movie adaptations, because he just put up his review for Detective Pikachu, and he's going to have some good insight for us there, I think. How you doing, Bro? Uh, I'm doing good. How excited am I for Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, let me count the ways. <laughs> one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. I'm done. I'm, I'm pooped out. Podcast over. Well, I thought that was the best way. I mean, with the, the convergence of video games here and a cartoon character movie, we had to bring the most cartoonish person we had on the staff in to talk about these, so here you are. Very, very qualified. <laughs> All right. So what do you want to talk about first? Well... Let's talk about video game adaptations. Uh, what are your favorites? Uh, I think culturally we all acknowledge Mortal Kombat is like really high up there. Um, I liked Doom. Um, I don't know how... You did. Go ahead. You did like Doom? I did like Doom. Um, I, I think the cast... I like Carl Urban and I like The Rock. Um, there's a lot of irony okay. to these picks. Um We'll get to Detective Pikachu later, but I think Detective Pikachu is probably one of the first video game movies I like unironically. But for the most part, yeah. a lot of these have a little irony, a little bit of, yeah, this is awful to them. And uh, Doom and Mortal Kombat both feature that sort of like, the game is ridiculous, so it's okay if the movie is too. I, I think you know? I've seen a little bit of a change in trend now. Like, we're finally finding our footing with video game movies because i've heard some people say now you know detective pikachu is the best video game movie but not just like a couple months ago or whenever it was i heard people saying similar things about rampage but i think that was still on the ironic end of things well you know what i was gonna say and i was gonna say it right before the podcast and i remembered it existed and i don't consider it usually a video game movie but i'm surprised it didn't do better as angry birds oh yeah angry birds <laughs> yeah. i figured would explode and because like technically that would be unironic it's just a kid's movie but uh I, I think the reason i know i know i think i know the reason why it's not blowing up or we're not considering it is because largely the gaming community still wants to ignore that mobile games are a faction of that so they just kind of brush it aside and don't think about angry birds even as a property well i had to vividly remind myself it existed because it's one of the previews for uh, detective pikachu angry birds oh, two, 2 yeah was uh it doesn't look good. Right. <laughs> no. It's hard to adapt. I mean, you're just uh, flinging birds at pigs, right? That's the whole premise of the game. That is the premise, yes. Mm -hmm. I, there's not much in terms of characterization or anything to go to, but, I mean, they've kind of ignored that in the past, too. I don't see why they couldn't just do, you know, anything like that. Like, any base establishment you've had in characterization for video game movies, they just throw that shit right out the window, usually. That's the first step in screenwriting it. Well... Well, in Angry Birds, the what's the characterization? It is the red bird is mad all the time, and that's it. He's the like, he's the angry one. Got. They've got a, a, a yellow the, fast the big one. Black, like 
the the fat one is dumb. That's like that's it. Original. The pig is evil. <laughs> I like Silent Hill a lot as far as video game adaptations go. I know it's not as good as the storyline of the games, but I get a lot out of it every time I watch it. And uh, it has some good world building and uh, interesting characters. I think it maintains uh, the imagery that people find famous in it. And, and I think it is probably the one video game movie that sticks out in the general public's mind and they may not realize that it's a video game movie i knew a lot of people like just general common people that liked the movie and did not realize it was a video game i think it i think it has enough distinction that uh you could enter into silent hill as like a premise of anything it's it's such an open-ended idea of a shifting town and i feel like there's more potential in silent hill than Probably most video games for a horror movie, especially. I, I guess in that got, same like, vein, a big name director. In that same vein, uh, what what about the Resident Evil franchise? It's all you know, video game based, right? I have seen all the Resident Evil movies, and um, I uh, irony is really hard for that one because it's not funny. Right. No, it's um, not. <laughs> um, the real problem is, is I don't know the guy's name. It's Paul W S and right, right, right. yeah. To get it correct, he uh, he likes to insert his wife Mila Jovovich as a sort of self insert. If there's ever a Mary Sue, it is honestly Alice from Resident <laughs> Evil. Like that is the one to look at because it's like how perfect she is, how much you know, how different she is from everybody else. But also, she does not belong in anything. No, like it makes no sense for her to exist in the series. Mm-hmm. I think in general, we've just kind of agreed that uh, Mia Jovovich is kind of an an oddity in, in movies in general and doesn't belong in place. Like, uh, Cal, when you said, like, she wasn't too great in Hellboy either, right? No, 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 not at all. Yeah, like, she she has one good film that we all know about and kind of acknowledge that. Was it Three Musketeers? <laughs> no. Yes, yes, of course what? it was that one. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> was she Run, Lola, Run, or is that... No, someone no, else? that's someone else. It's a French film, How's isn't it? not her? <laughs> it it kind of looks like, like, if you're just... If you only know about the movie in passing glances in rental stores by seeing her on the Which cover, I do. that that is the only way I know it. So <laughs> then, yeah, I, I get that. I think I made that mistake when first kind of browsing past the film. I'm like, oh, she looks familiar, and then I kind of move on and don't think about it. No, it's this French actress, and uh, she had a funny story. Like she was a heavy smoker and partier, and she could hardly. Is Mila run. Jovovich not French? What is that? That's, she <laughs> actually know. might be because that was like she was having a fling with Luke Besson during Fifth Element, wasn't she? That that was a huge thing. Who wouldn't have a fling with Luke Besson? Yeah. <laughs> is it the red hair that's throwing you guys off? Yeah, you know that's Dude. part of it too because because Lilu and and like what Lilu Lo, yeah Lilu Lola I think there's that that similar yeah. connection there too. Something there. We're on to something. You guys were talking about Fifth Element. Yes. Fifth Element was the good one. Yeah, yes, that was it. She, it says Ukrainian. It says she was born in Ukraine. Um, other video game movies. I remember people liking Tomb Raider, but I don't remember too much about like it. the new one or the uh, old one. Well, all of them. <laughs> I, I remember that being like the big thing that put Angelina Jolie on the map, at least in my 10-year-old mind because she was hot. Right. But like, I, I don't know much else about it. It got a sequel with her, you know, still in it, so I guess it made money. I, bet, I went back to those when the Alicia Vikander movies came out, and it, it doesn't hold up at all. It's weird. It's weird that that was our most uh, successful video game movie up till this point. 
Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say this. I'm pretty sure I've seen at least one sincere defender of every video game movie I've come across, except for, like, maybe the, the originator with Super Mario Bros. Anyone who enjoys that movie is doing it 100% ironically. Oh, okay, no. okay, time out, time out. I will say, I, I, I did a deep dive into the Super Mario Brothers movie. There is a website. I, 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 I don't want to plug it in because I don't, like, plug it because I don't have it offhand. But there is a specific site that collects so much information. If there are two people that will defend the movie, it is whoever runs that <laughs> site. They love it. Is this they, your that's site, all they bro? care about. It might be my I, I need to get up, catch up with these guys because they're, they're up my alley, but... They collect interviews. They literally go to the different producers. They interview the freaking craft service guy. What? Is this <laughs> they are dedicated to this, this movie. SMBmovie.com, the Mario Bros. Uh, movie archive. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They have an editorial up. Live action Sonic is a modern pantomime. Hmm. <laughs> They got a lot. They had one where it was like Super Mario Brothers is a uh, is a complicated Orpheus narrative. Orpheus <laughs> narrative. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm serious, man. If if you want to dive deep into some Super Mario Brothers the motion picture lore, go to that site. That's all I'm gonna say. I, it says discover how Dino Hatton is like the underworld and why Koopa is like Hades. I, I appreciate their staunch commitment to finding some artistry in that that steaming pile of what the fuck were they thinking? <laughs> um, do you guys like the song "Walk the Dinosaur"? Yeah, we will put that. I'm sure you're just wanting to say that so you can plug it somewhere here in the podcast, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's going in here somewhere. I don't know if you remember, bro, from listening to any, but that's basically what Calvin does majority of the time of the podcast, is he just looks for ways to... Open up to, the door, get to, on the floor, everybody <laughs> walk the dinosaur. Now I don't even have to put it in. <laughs> or avoid those copyright claims. <laughs> yeah, right. Alright, well, I think that's a, a good point to move on to uh, their, our box office here, see what's going on this last week. Let's uh, start with 12 here since we have uh, Bro joining us. Yeah. Dude, dude, every podcast you guys have, you guys just went over Shazam. You'd be like, yeah, I saw Shazam, or I didn't see Shazam, but uh, I hear people say it's good. <laughs> I'm glad DC's course correcting. I'm like, okay, all right, that's it. That's all we got. Uh, Shazam was good. Um, Shazam's probably my favorite superhero movie of 2019. I think Endgame is probably more culturally significant, like, obviously. But... There are no complaints to Shazam. Shazam was a very just like pure movie, and mm-hmm. uh, I think it will remain special. And I think it's going to maintain uh, a fan base. Um, I don't think it made a lot of money, but I, I like it. I, I I think it's it's pretty dandy. If if I remember right, it's a uh, Mark Strong plays the villain in it, right? Yeah, he plays Doctor Savannah, and Savannah's a. A very interesting villain, and um, he's kind of simplified in the movie, but he's still, uh, you know, he's still a little sympathetic. They do a good job uh, giving him a little bit of dimension, but also making him evil enough to where everyone wants him to uh, die. This is a very simple children's movie, um, but he has the darkest moments, and he has the, you know, most villainous streak, I think. He's he's better than uh, Jesse Eisenberg, Lex Luthor, at least, so... Uh, <laughs> Um, Yeah, we just uh, kind of breezed past it because we wanted to get your thoughts, especially. Uh, You have a review up that's a pretty good look Um, at it. If you have a passing interest in the movie, I would recommend seeing it. Um, Even if it's just on DVD or something, definitely check it out. 
Mm. I think I'll eventually get around to it. Like I said, it's just that, uh, especially with theater films, I, I do not go out to the theater often, as we've well documented here on the podcast. And anytime I do, it's usually for an old screening of something. Well, I think I've seen yeah. three film, three new films this year, and it's almost June. Well, well I mean, I, I, I think it's hard for me to complain about, you know, all these big budget superhero movies are preventing big budget superhero movies from getting seen. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not really fair for me to complain. So. Yeah, we have about uh, four of them in the top 20. I think we'll be okay. Yeah, uh, it's definitely, if you haven't already realized, that superhero movies are what kind of everyone cares about right now. Well, they're the new Western. They're, they're what the Western used to be to Hollywood. It's what people make, what does what. Like, in the 50s, I mean, you're going way back for that. It's not like trends haven't changed since the Western. Well, well I, I think I think the nice thing about superhero movies, and I guess I should say it now since there's so many of them here, but uh, superhero movies are interesting because, number one, there's a huge focus on the character, so there's something easy for the audience to latch onto if done right. And also... Um, the different aspects of like the costume and how the powers work lend really well to special effects. And if special effects dominate the game, then it, it makes complete sense for them to, you know, be incorporated in and be, you know, synergetic. Mm -hmm. So what interests me about the Shazam is that it seems to be based in a real world setting. It's not a, most DC films I've seen are kind of alternate United States, right? Yeah, it's, this one's in Philadelphia. That's weird. That's different. Yeah, That's nice. And, and it feels like a city, too. Yeah, it, 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 it does definitely has a little bit more of an appeal. Uh, you know, like, found families are very uh, popular and modern right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot more of those adoption stories. There was, what, the, the Mark Wahlberg Instant one? Family. Yeah, <laughs> that we hated on for a while, and then you saw and actually liked. And I was like, it's good. <laughs> yeah, it, I felt like it was actually a good, a good reason to go adopt a kid. So, uh, <laughs> but you got a dog instead. <laughs> I know. Imagine going into an adoption center, and be like, "Why'd you want to adopt?" And it's like Mark Wahlberg. Sold me. <laughs> he was my inspiration. He spoke to my heart. Then, then you adopt the kid, and and the kids just it gets awkward because all you watch is instant family around them. <laughs> yeah, then the and kids like, like just sad all the time. He's like, what am I, like, instant coffee? <laughs> Alright, well, I, I guess we should keep going to the box office. I mean, we could talk about Shazam all the time, but we got so many other superhero movies to talk about, like Captain Marvel at 11. Uh. Yeah. yeah. Can you insert yeah. the cricket sound in? <laughs> or, or do I need to do it? Bro, David, Bro you've quick seen thoughts, it, right? I've seen, yeah, I've seen it, uh. It's fine. I liked Captain Marvel more in her solo movie than in Endgame, which I guess we'll, we might brush over in a bit. But mm -hmm. uh, the movie was... It was alright. Uh, <laughs> the worst things it ruined to me were Nick Fury, but, you know, it was still nice and fun. There were surprises. I, I had good moments, I guess. <laughs> There's nothing else for me to say. It's, it's hard to want to say it's, anything I'm, bad about I'm it. I'm glad certainly. I didn't write the review. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm glad Laura had it, had us covered because I was originally going to write it and I didn't want that kind of backlash. Mm -hmm. It definitely could come across bad, as we've seen a lot of the, the complaints about it, especially with the, the political atmosphere surrounding I, it. I will say I don't think there's anything wrong with Brie Larson. That's I think Brie Larson, Brie Larson does her best with the material she's given. She's, she's just clearly not given good material. 
like in Endgame, she probably didn't know. Like, if I had gotten her material, and especially if like her script was mostly blacked out because spoilers and all that, mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't. No one could. Like, the greatest <laughs> what, what actor of all time it? would be like, oh my god. There, there's really nothing she had to work with. She, she was there, and then she went away for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'll get to that. Yep, yeah, we'll get to Endgame here. But in the meantime, number ten, we have uh, the Curse of La Lorena. Latest Conjuring film. I don't think any of us have seen it La still. Llorona. Ah, damn it, I La did it again. Llorona. Oh, because <laughs> Tyler was here last time and he was correcting me up and down and I, I still screwed it up. You all see that story about the theater in Montreal that put it on when they were supposed to be showing, what was it, Dumbo? Or Detective Detective Pikachu, Pikachu, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's that, not the first that time. That would have been better than Dumbo. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know what? It's not as bad as when I remember reading the articles about when Sausage Party came out and that was something that came up. Instead of Some, something, uh, whatever was film. going on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or something, or like there were trailers for Sausage Party being shown at kids' films or whatever, and it was. Although I've I've seen it now, and I think it's perfectly fine. But it begins with a mother drowning her child. So uh, wait, the curse of Llorona. Yes, yeah. that's the that's the myth around that Mexican folklore character. Well, here's the thing. I was gonna say I haven't seen the movie, so I can't uh, testify to its quality. But I like the Conjuring franchise as a brand and i and i would much rather it do cultural folklore stuff to appeal to specific audiences that may be underrepresented again like in contrast to annabelle the fifth movie i don't want (laughs) annabelle five you know yeah no i think it's certainly a a good idea to do that and as we've seen there is actually uh you know a fairly big you know mexican-american market to to tap into you know for to, to see these who are interested in these kind of things and it's a cool folktale that's uh, often told in that community that's not told often enough on the screen, so that's nice. At least they didn't go like the easy route and make a chupacabra film or something. I mean, I didn't, I didn't love it. I, I thought it's pretty middle of the road anyway. But besides its quality, I do think that's important. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, number nine here we have uh, the new Tolkien biopic, which I know there's a lot of controversy around because the Tolkien estate basically said, "Not, nah, nah, we don't support this at all." And the new Game of Thrones has really ruined his original script. <laughs> We're not getting into that again. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the backlash about it? I, I don't know anything. The only thing I know about this movie is whenever I see another movie, Nicholas Holt and Lily Collins show up before <laughs> and say, please watch our movie. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't think Tolkien did a lot. I don't think he did enough for a movie. <laughs> no, no, and I think if you can't get inside the family and you're not represented by them, you're not going to get the access you need to make an interesting writer picture. I think that's why so many of them are undervalued because they never get the access, they never get permission to access the people. Well, that you did. you know what would be a good like movie like biopic thing with Tolkien, and it would be like, uh, do you guys ever see the Screw Tape? Le- not see the read the Screw Tape letters with C.S. Lewis and Tolkien like that that would be something that would be like okay yeah like maybe the friendship between these two writers and how you know their religion influenced their stories or whatever that would be something cool I don't know what this movie's about so (laughs) right um I just know it's about it when you the period of time you wrote Game of Thrones and what happened with HBO oh okay yeah Calvin's still committed to this joke and so we'll move on from it here and go to number eight Breakthrough. I know uh, nothing about the, this movie. <laughs> so do I, and I've talked first, about it for two uh, weeks. <laughs> that's the first 
Disney movie that had Fox uh, behind the distribution. That's right. That's that's this is my third time making the joke that this is Topher Grace's apology for uh, Black Klansman and playing a racist. It's a we can move on su- super <laughs> Christian propaganda film. Not worth talking Topher about. Grace has been in a lot of stuff recently. Like I, I when I saw Under the Silver Lake, he was in it for like two or three scenes, and uh, I, I don't know what he's sort of like, what game he's playing here. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't think he's a super capable actor. I think he's okay though. Like I, I think he chooses good pictures. Like his agent is doing him wonders right now. But yeah. I, I think everyone keeps wanting him to be good because they liked him in that '70s show, and so they just keep giving him second chances. Like, I don't know well, how... Well, let me tell you something. My first experience with him was uh, Spider-Man 3. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> let me tell you my opinion on him. <laughs> I think that's the thing, is that that's what more modern audiences now see him as, and he's he's trying hard to get away from that still, but I don't know if he'll be able to. <laughs> anyway, at uh, number seven, we have the Ugly Dolls movie. Looks like Trolls, um, I don't know about it. You see, here's the thing... I do see. Do you not know even about like what ugly dolls are? Like I, as a toy? I know, I, I know they're ugly dolls. I, I have a vague idea because as I said last time, my my fiance has a couple. They're sitting in a box in our closet right now, waiting to be gotten rid of. But uh, that's uh, that's my extent. <laughs> yeah, I'm under the impression like this is where I put on my conspiracy tinfoil hat, and I assume this movie was meant to push the brand of toy. And meant to sell toys and be like, remember, guys, ugly dolls is a thing. More so than make actual money at the box office. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's actually a legitimate shot at making a movie. I guess kind of like the the emoji movie was in the same way for Sony, where they they kind of uh, capitalized on the fact that they could sell merchandise off of it rather than make a return. Yeah. yeah. Um. I, I don't know anything about ugly dolls. What are they? The, the, they're, they're literally dolls. dolls that look ugly. They, they got like they got like fake plastic teeth and weird eyes, and they're, they're meant to be like alternative dolls. Like like know? it's the the whole shtick is is like oh it's so ugly how cute you know like that yeah. that mentality. I feel old. Yeah, you you definitely got uh, the old man vibe going on, Calvin. I mean, to be fair, Furbies are still uglier, so, I mean... That's that's true. And that was huge. Furbies were... I I regret that part of the 90s. (laughs) I regret most of the 90s. So, uh... (laughs) Number six, Palms. What is this? I I looked this up just beforehand, It's and I was like, I saw Diane Keaton's name. I'm like, oh, no, what the hell is going on here? It's like... And it's, it's a movie about... All of these older retirement home women getting together to make a, a cheerleading squad for their retirement oh, home. Okay, time out, guys. I didn't realize I was going to be this toxic and mean and go on a rant <laughs> on my first podcast. Let me complain about old people movies. No, I'm not going to do that. Remind me next time. Next time one of these movies comes out starring Michael Caine and Robert Duvall uh, being bored or something in a retirement home, then I'll do the complaint, but not right now. <laughs> It's uh, this year's Old Man and the Gun, oh, except yeah. uh, old women uh, cheerleading in retirement homes. Here's the thing, Old Man and the Gun, it, it feels significant, and it has like a sort of like sincerity to it. My, my pet peeve movies are the ones where it's like, we old people still are kicking, and we're still alive. <laughs> it's like, this is sad. If you look at the... Was it like 
Going out in style or something? Yeah, the, yeah that was like the most oh, recent like one. That one with Zach Braff, like directed. Yeah, that was a Zach Braff film. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you look at like the poster for Palms here, it looks exactly like that kind of film. It's got the uh, uh, it's got a Mamma Mia look to it, which is very unfortunate. Not not the kind of thing. Like let's all remember, Diane Keaton was a big player in like The Godfather, you know, and this is where she is now. <laughs> Well, you say Mamma Mia like it's not going to do well, but Mamma Mia does incredibly well. It does. I'm not saying that. Look, I mean, it's it's in the box office here, Palms is. I'm not saying it's not doing well. I'm just saying it's not really a, a graceful film you want to see in the, the Uber was this, of the... Was, it, was this its first week? Yes, this is its first yeah, week. Yeah, it was. So this didn't do well. Oh. Anything anything no. like around the... Like, The Hustle did not do well. Spoiler alert for The Hustle. <laughs> right? <laughs> No, this one bombed. Mm-hmm. In general, I think if you're not in, like the top two of the box office, you're probably not not getting your money back. Like we should have said about Tolkien, that's a that's a horrible horrible launch considering it got a decent amount of screens. Mm-hmm. Um, anything below this is bombed. Yeah, I just think everyone should have been aware that Avengers Endgame was literally going to eat up everybody's <laughs> wallets for like a month. So I have a feeling that people wanted to like capitalize on people being at the theater, but I think people only go for Avengers. It's such a long movie; you're not going to fit two in. Are Are you telling me that people aren't like like walking out of this three hour long superhero film that's just like hitting you with stuff nonstop, and they walk out and they're not thinking, "Hey, look, palms! Let's go see that." (laughs) Endgame pushed me to my breaking point, but I guess we'll 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 get there when we get there. But three hours is a long time. It is like that. Oh, Me too. All right, let, let's keep moving so we do get there. At number five, we have Long Shot, Seth Rogen comedy with Charlize Theron. Uh, I think uh, I, wanted, as, I wanted this to do better than it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as the top ten goes, this is probably the most I'm interested in something. Like, genuinely, I'm going to go see it, I, other than Shazam, which I'll get to. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I like Charlize Theron. I like Seth Rogen. I like these sort of cheesy, they shouldn't get together, but this is a romantic <laughs> movie sort of movies. Like, I, I love those things. Those are feel good. Like The Proposal or something. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's soul. This is soul movie. Oh, I, I gotta ask this now, because that that was a, a funny thing you put in your Detective Pikachu review there. So you're saying that you that was not an ironic line when you said no, that, no, that's the best Ryan, Ryan Reynolds I, 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 I am not kidding when I say this. Ryan Reynolds' best movie is The Proposal. His second best movie is probably... Everyone's gonna say, like, Deadpool or something. I'm gonna say Detective Pikachu. I don't like Deadpool that much. No, I'm gonna say Blade no, 3. How about that? Sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough. Um, looking more like alternatively, I like buried. Uh, we'll get to that. Yeah, that yeah, but I think I think it is interesting that you know, bro, you're all about this kind of you know he shouldn't get with this girl, but will you know kind of thing because you know Laura, who reviewed the film and has done a couple of these before, like this is like entirely on the opposite end. She's like, oh no, this this doesn't make any sense. Are you kidding? I'm not he buying this bullshit. Is this this movie has existed since the dawn of movies? <laughs> yeah, they it's should not never a new get together. Invention. It's it's just it's a genre into itself. Mm-hmm. Well, it was it was TV predominantly for the most time. Let's talk about those those big husky TV husbands with you know redonkulous wives you know that don't make any sense. Yeah, that was a whole show. If you could put those two together, yeah, I mean that was like there's so many cop- I mean, going back all the way to the honeymooners, right? I I am real excited about this. I feel like uh, Rogan's writing and uh, his uh, ability should. 
reflect well. Wait, did Rogue. Rogan write the movie too? Oh, I guess he didn't really write it, did he? But is uh, you know, with their style of comedy, kind of comedy, it's it's all improv I mean, anyway. Yeah, he's, Nobody he's, writes he's still these. Bringing it, yeah, I guess. I, I just wanted to be clear on that. Yeah, right. yeah. I don't think he had a, a an official writing credit on this. No, but I feel like his style of comedy is kind of what I'm getting at. Should uh, she's pretty funny when she tries. Char- yeah, yeah, I like Char- I liked Charlize Theron in uh, she's just a really capable actress. Uh, comedic wise, I liked her in Arrested Development. Um, yeah, I I kind of like modern Theron too. I feel like she's doing cool stuff. Like uh, even Tully and a uh, young adult is cool. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Right, uh, and after like Mad Max, uh, yeah, it seems like she's just like comedy now. Oh, ex- except for like Atomic Blonde, she did. She, she, yeah, she Mad does Max, a lot of Atomic stuff. I, I think she she's cultivating uh, a personality that she didn't have ten years ago, which is yeah. I think no, and it's cool. Her. We yeah. we've got like two big flavors of Throne right now. It's either action badass or you know kind of comedic you know hot character. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it works. I'm down for but it. But then you also have like that uh, the mother that it's it's not very hot, and the cult of motherhood is a little bit overrated, and you know maybe it's not always great to be a mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's interesting too. Yeah. So that's a, an interesting one there. I'm still surprised that like this was the case last week as well that we talked about how you know disappointing long shot not doing better was, but it didn't do better than this next film number four, The Intruder. I, got, I have to remind I myself what this is again. This one either. Exactly, but you know everything about Longshot. It's being advertised everywhere, and it's the kind of movie that people would go out for, but apparently people want to go see this, this thriller instead. I think because it has such a perfect logline that the person sells them a property and then the person won't leave. I love that logline. This sounds like my dad movie. My dad yeah. loves movies like these, and and you can never, you know, you can never discount the dad population. Mm-hmm. No, we can't be discounted. It's I certainly get that because that's that's definitely the kind of movie my dad is also kind of interested in. Like it's got a cool premise, so he's gonna you know go out and check that out. It's a and it's a thriller or a mystery film or some kind. That's the kind of thing he's all about and wants to capitalize on. So to be fair, I figured mo- this would you know mostly be a red box movie and most people yeah. would just rent it on DVD or something. But hey, right. good good for this movie. I'm very <laughs> it proud sounds of it. like it's. Sounds like it's horrible, but um, people don't care. Dennis yeah, Quaid's in it. Never mind. I don't like Dennis Quaid. <laughs> so, uh... <Nah. laughs> taking it all back. Yeah, I'm taking that back. What do we have uh, before this? Uh, number three slot. Uh, number three, we have uh, The Hustle. Since first time here. 13 million is, opening. Is Rebel Wilson good? I don't think so, honestly. Oh. <laughs> I, I like her sometimes, but um, yeah, she is... Neither of these people, but specifically Rebel Wilson, has not had a hit in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, no. I actually wanted this movie to succeed because I like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and I think a female version of it is an is is a nice, appropriate turn in 2019. Um, I haven't seen this yet, but if it's that um, bad, I probably won't. Yeah. We also had Rebel Wilson just a couple months ago, and isn't it romantic? Which is supposed to be like. Uh, deconstruction of a uh, romantic comedy but it was just cynical and uh, kind of pig-headed and not very good mm-hmm. and i think rebel wilson usually chooses those kinds of movies i don't know if yeah. i'm not speaking for her but well th- that, that certainly seems like she gravitates towards so that kind of character certainly at least like she's she's already picked the part that she's going to play for the rest of her career and that's what she's doing you know, at least we got a chance, like, with uh, someone similar, like, Melissa McCarthy's already breaking away from that. She had, what, like, 
Can You for Ever Forgive Me last year. Yeah. It was a nice break away from that. Hopefully we'll see more of that kind of thing. But I don't expect that from Rebel Wilson. No, I don't think she has that kind of range. Certainly not. And Anne Hathaway, you know, she's in it here too. And she's also slamming out stinkers lately. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything else to say about it. No. Nope. I don't know why the hustle did so well. Not particularly. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one, which we, we do have some insight here on. Number two, Detective Pikachu. All right, guys, this is m- my time to shine. There you go. Uh, I, I, I wrote everything in a review. You guys can see it. Um, yeah. and, uh, number one's Endgame. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess to open, I, I again, I don't like Ryan Reynolds that much, but I will say... If, if your main appeal for this movie is either liking Pokemon or thinking Ryan Reynolds' as Pikachu is funny, you will be pleasantly satisfied by this film. Other than that, you probably won't. This this movie is a mess at certain points. <laughs> I believe it. I, I, I think it looks adorable. I, I it like is how adorable. they look Dude, aesthetically. Pikachu is very, very cute. And other, <laughs> other Pokemon in it are very cute too, so... Like there's there's a lot for people to latch onto in the film, but it also we're gonna talk about it when we talk about Roger Rabbit and what Roger Rabbit does right. But this film mm. does not ease you into Pokemon at all. If you are a grandparent gonna take your little kid to see a Pokemon movie, you have no idea what's happening. <laughs> I, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you that. Well, at least something like Roger Rabbit already has the the you know. The, the ground that it's at least set in some kind of normalcy, you get it. Like, when you see, you know, Daffy Duck playing on a piano, you're like, you, you get what's going on there. Even if you don't know who Daffy Duck is or whatever. But Pokemon, well, well, these not are... Just, not just that, but, like, oh, we were going to do it, wait till Roger Rabbit, but Roger Rabbit also yeah, transitions yeah. into it. Right? right. He does it very slowly and appropriately, and... It starts with how we know cartoons. It starts us with a cartoon, and then it shows us the world, and mm. then it slowly meshes them together and escalates what's going on, blah, 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 blah. You get it. Point right. is, is the first thing you see in Detective Pikachu is Mewtwo, and he's going to fly up <laughs> in the air, and he's going to do some Mewtwo shit. And, mm, and if you don't know this. who he is, there- then what, where are you going with that? Because it's based in, like, fake Japan, right? And uh, yeah. that's just Japan itself... Uh, is enough um, abstraction for older people. Well, there's also yeah. the whole mechanic of how Pokemon as a species work in general, and that you don't necessarily kind of get a grasp on. And like you wouldn't already like you'd already have a hard time going and seeing just the first 150 Pokemon, which are you know that's plenty overwhelming as is. But now we're somewhere in the seven to eight hundred amount see, of Pokemon see, available. <laughs> They don't use all 700 Pokemon. Of course mostly, not. <laughs> they, they mostly stick to the 150, and if they don't, then they're putting in someone, like, they're putting in a Pokemon that's pretty famous, like Greninja or something. Yeah, here, have a Mudkips again. We'll throw some meme Pokemon in there. Chico. They don't They don't even have Mudkip. They, have they don't have Mudkip? But, uh, what? Mudkip is not in the film, no. Yeah, this, at least, so at least we... if he is, then he's in a background. He, he is not given a close-up shot. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Like, if we had a checklist, should we go through some, see if they're in there? Uh, uh, do we have oh, a... God, no, 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 please don't. Because if okay, I'm wrong, okay, we're so... going to get slaughtered, and I'm going to be on do a we crucifix. Have a... a Pokemon do we have crucifix. A ma- Magikarp in there? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Magikarp I saw, is a, saw a picture. How, yeah, how about how about an Igus Slash? Do you see one of those? Uh, I don't even know what that <laughs> is. Exactly. Okay, so so that, that's where I'll express it at least. I, 
I have an embarrassing amount of knowledge of Pokemon because I played a lot of like competitive Pokemon growing up. Actually, See, I, I actual... named the that, weirdest fucking one there is. I, I've, <laughs> what is I've this guy? A few. I, I, I've played pretty much most of them. I stopped after X and Y. Right, so, but like, I'm that's like, where I, I'm at. I, I'm like, I, like I said, I'm seriously getting in here, like, like you know, going through and like breeding them and whatnot for particular stats, training them. Like, I, I was full on into this and going to actual local tournaments and shit. Oh man! So I, I have an extensive, useless knowledge of Pokemon. Why didn't you write the review for this movie? <laughs> because I don't go out to see movies. I told you that. Well, I well, feel like we should have rethought this. Yes. <laughs> Well, to to, uh, to go back to the film itself, the other thing I will say about the movie that I really liked was its aesthetics. I think it's really pretty, and there's a lot of like moments where it it, it will pay homage, but in sort of like a cheap way, where it's like if you've seen the film, like you know what's happening. Uh, to Blade Runner, to Alien, they they will do those easy callback shots. Um, I liked them, and visually the Neo-Japan thing looks really, really pretty, and the music is pretty fantastic. I haven't checked out the soundtrack, but I think I will. Mm-hmm. So, um, all I've seen is Psyduck hugging a Pikachu, and I'm sold. I think I think I realized from your review we have at least a shared favorite Pokemon, and maybe the only one we know. Mo- okay, so. all right. So, in case, all right. Uh, so, I, I do have to ask, uh, bro. Do you think it's going to make its money back? You know, with having Endgame in I the think, box I th- office. I here? think I think it will make its money back. Um, I, I was going to say, even like David may do competitive Pokemon, but the way I do Pokemon is I do the ones that I think are funny looking. Um, yeah. So so my my original team was Psyduck, Snorlax, Slowbro, um, just any Pokemon. Oh, ooh, drowsy. Like, a- like all the ones that looked like they were having a bad time and did not want to be there are my Pokemon. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I always, I just went aesthetically also, but not for, like, a ugly Pokemon. Well, it looks like they did a good job of balancing the, the ugly and the pretty, you know, classic design elements of the Pokemon, which is something we only thought we'd get in fan art, you know, up until this point. I, I will say, the Pokemon look very pretty, too. There are some occasionally that will look bad. Those are mostly in, like, wide group shots that are like, wow, look at the city. Look at all these Pokemon. The ones in the back clearly have really bad CG. And the only one that's given, like, super big focus that I did not like was Gengar. I Mm -hmm. love Gengar as a a cartoon Pokemon. I think drawing-wise, Gengar looks amazing. And in in the film, he looks really ugly. That's unfortunate, because Gengar is one of the popular big Pokemon. Everyone loves Gengar. It just strikes me that it's not a very interesting film, that it might be about Pokemon, and it might be nice for families, but uh, there's not a lot to dig into here for me. No, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I pretty much said all we can say, so... Uh... Right, well <laughs> then, uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Endgame then. A little bit, I mean, we've talked about a, pod, you know, a podcast before and whatnot about this last week, but let's hear a little bit of what you think, bro. I disagreed with... I disagree with everything Team Money said. If you just listen to the last podcast, every opinion he had, imagine me being the exact opposite, and uh, you'll, oh, you'll, you'll get it. That's it. No, that's that's all I got to say. Oh, that's, that's some serious shit. I think we'll have to bring Tyler on next week to just like alternate weeks trashing each other back and forth. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and we also have a new Spider-Man trailer from the last time we podcast. Uh, what did you think of that? 
I think I'm more excited about the Spider-Man than I've been in a long time. I don't like the MCU Spider-Man, but I, I think Myster Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio is really cute. I said cute because my dog's bugging me right now. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal uh, is very cute, cute but, but Mysterio is a very cool villain. And I think I'm a little tired that Spider-Man keeps leaving New York. Um, I think New York's very important to the character. But, yeah. I mean, Europe's fun. Nick Fury's fun. I think this trailer was very exciting. I, I think definitely. And I think it's partly because he has to go meet, like, the British Spider-Man. Like, he's opening the multiverse, right? You, oh, think, they're, yeah. you think they're going to go there? British Spider-Man? Uh, I think that's... Mysterio is from the British Spider-Man universe. At least that's what he says. You, is you that what he like, said? Super trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. The, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but he says a number, and the number is Spider-Man UK. Oh, okay. See, I didn't catch all that stuff because I'm, that's not what I'm keeping up with. I, so the Europe parts go play into the multiverse in some way, which I don't think is what he's lying about. I'm sure he's lying about something. We want to think he's a good guy, right? But yeah, we don't know. yeah, oh, yeah. That's, yeah. That's the idea, but I think definitely I'm on the same page with you, bro. There with uh, Spider-Man in terms of his identity, I think we're we're very in sync with kind of how we feel about the character. Uh, but I'm definitely I'm excited too. I'm excited to see Mysterio realized. Mysterio is one of the really cool Spider-Man villains. I think the only one like one one of the only big big ones left. I really am still interested to see Kraven. No, dude, as I a disagree. I I think what's really special about Spider-Man is he has so many villains, and unlike Batman. His like B and C list villains are not lame, right? Like, no. like Vulture was actually done really, really well, and he's not amazing as a villain. Like, it's an old guy that can fly, and <laughs> Sp and Spider Man literally fought a guy that could fly in Civil War, and people didn't complain. So mm -hmm. like, like they were able to make things very like. All the villains offer some variety. You could do like Craven the Hunter. Uh, you could do like Hammerhead or Kingpin. Like there, there's a lot of stuff that Spidey can do that he's got a lot of potential. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that Batman and Spider-Man are so pliable that you're able to put them in those situations either through gadgetry or their abilities. Uh, they're able to face off a lot more interesting uh, villains. Yeah, I certainly agree. The, the Spider-Man power set is both unique and also somewhat limited, so it allows for some actual peril to be had and interesting aspects there to go on. But I do agree that, you know, this MCU Spider-Man isn't quite Spider-Man Spider-Man. He's missing a lot of mm -hmm. the the personal characteristics that really make him one of, you know, the most compelling Marvel character out there. That's it, right? <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think that's good for now. We can move on to talking about the film that we meant we came here to talk about, right? Who framed Roger Rabbit? It's a motion picture about friendship. Please, Eddie, don't tell me I'm making a big mistake. Love. <laughs> Compassion. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I yanked your ears. All the time you yanked my ears? Murder. Marvin Acme. The rabbit cacked him last night. Remember, you never saw me. Sex. I'd do anything for my husband, Mr. Valiant. Anything. And Tunes gets him every time. You wouldn't have any idea where the rabbit might be? Got a thing for rabbits, huh? The whole thing stinks like yesterday's diapers. It's a comedy a little different from all the rest. I'm a pig! I'm a toon. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. But tell me, Eddie. 
Is that a rabbit in your pocket? Are you just happy to see me? Touchstone Pictures and Steven Spielberg present a Robert Zemeckis film. We tunes may act idiotic, but we're not stupid. Who framed what rabbit? Da, 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 da. Wow, what a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what a movie. Uh, all right, I'll come out and say it at least right now. I I have so much love for this movie, and I know you guys might not think it's quite a masterpiece, quote-unquote, but mm. I don't care. I'll claim it as such. And I'll also specify, this is my fiancé's all-time favorite film, so there's a lot of personal bias in this. I've seen this movie way too many times. Okay, I, didn't e- all right. I didn't even rewatch it for this podcast. That's how much faith I have in knowing about the movie. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this. Number one... How do you feel about Robert Zemeckis's like? Because you also like Back to the Future as well. Yes. How do you feel so, about this era of Zemeckis? This is this is where Zemeckis was the absolute best in his capabilities. He he did Romancing the Stone in '84, and it was really impressive and showed box office appeal and some actual you know good technique in there. Back to the Future came off, put a stamp on his career. That's the biggest, most important thing he's ever made. It's my favorite film ever. Right afterwards, he made this, Roger Rabbit, huge, you know, touchstone, you know, major piece of animation, you know, this this brilliant piece of, you know, hard filmmaking. Then he turned around and made the Back to the Future sequels, two of the strongest sequels to any franchise. And then from there, like, his career is kind of like a weird path going. Like, Forrest Gump, everyone's cooled a lot on, but it was huge, huge in 94. Well, Same let me at- ask you something, because... I think last week or maybe in the like our chat or whatever, I don't know where you pointed it, but you point to Zemeckis and his like fascination with technology. Like yeah. Beowulf, Polar Express, all of those. I would argue that I don't know how much individuality Zemeckis has. I think he is like very, very competent. And I think like George Lucas or other um, directors of that era, some of them retreated into special effects because they thought that is where they could carve their niche and be really special. And that's probably what Zemeckis thought was like, yeah. hey, Polar Express is something new. Nobody's ever seen it before. This is where I can be special. I think that's absolutely the case. And you could even point to Roger Rabbit as probably his initiating point with an obsession with special effects. But definitely, I mean, uh, he was at his height kind of when writing with, you know, co-writer Bob Gale, which is the guy who did, like, used cars and romancing the and back to the future with. And then from there, I think you can see, like, a, a big decrease once he stops being because I think as we said here, his career as of late is just in, in the tubes. He's done. You could feel, you could feel the difference of Spielberg in producing his early stuff. Um, I, I think looking at it, like, I saw Welcome to Marwin, and uh, it, you know, in the way that this brings tunes to life, that doesn't do anything for dolls. Uh, it's it's completely boring. I, I don't really care about it. Mm-hmm. But so. th- that's certainly, I think, not the case. You know, we can sit here and we, we can trash Robert Zemeckis' latest movie, sure, but we want to talk about how great Roger Rabbit is, right? Okay, all right. <laughs> I will say, all right, I, I will open this up by uh, saying the two things that I think are very special about this movie. Clearly, we can go on and on about the special effects, which I'm sure we will. But I, I want to say, my like, I think this is a unique take here. Uh, I would contrast it with Cool World, which yes. was a yeah. um, Ralph Bakshi animated movie around the same time. I don't I don't remember years that well, but it was essentially Four years later. Humans, Something like that. humans interacting with cartoons, right? And I think 
everything you look at cool world is tell like can tell you what not to do and roger rabbit can tell you what to do i think i think what roger rabbit does that cool world doesn't is number one eases you into the world um we talked about it just before in that box right. office but it starts with the uh with, with a cartoon with familiarity and Zemeckis' whole tone for the film is familiarity. It feels warm. And it's not just the fact that you recognize most of these characters from things you've seen before in your childhood. But it, it's legit just like that sort of Spielberg whimsy that allows you to have a human element to it. And um, versus Cool World, which is very, Im, like, very Im, inhuman and you could when you watch it you feel like it's an artist movie you feel like ralph bakshi yeah. is drawing whatever and a, a good contrast would be like hollywood versus jessica rabbit um hollywood you're told she's sexy you're told that everyone wants to have sex with this cartoon and with jessica rabbit sex you just do want to have sex with it you just you just do but not just that but in the film itself it doesn't want to say it 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 like sex for Jessica Rabbit is patty cake. You know what mm -hmm, I mean? Right. Like, like you just know it because you're a man. And versus Hollywood, where it's some sort of abstract thing that's like being pushed on you. Like sexuality for cartoons is being shoved down your throat. Versus a very sort of natural, like I get it for Roger Rabbit. Mm -hmm. I, I think another important aspect of Roger Rabbit to talk about and how it eases you into things as well that you kind of touched on there is that it has a firm basis not only in the cartoon world but also in the uh, the noir. It's very much like you you don't hear this a lot in the topic of conversation, but it's a it's a good it's a it's a great set of, send up of classic forties noir films and it follows the structure really well and kind of like we said with Detective Pikachu earlier. And it draws it very similar things. Like, you know, you, you mentioned Jessica Rabbit as well. Jessica Rabbit's a great example because she's actually takes real-life inspiration from people like um, Lana Turner and Rita Hayworth and, um, gosh, more specifically, um, damn, I forgot her name off the top of my head. <laughs> I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. You were going somewhere, though. I was, I was. Hold on, I'm pulling up. There it is, Veronica Lake. <laughs> Damn, I forget her name sometimes because she was she was a little less... Veronica Lake especially, that, that kind of... The silhouette of her hair there and everything, it's 100% Veronica Lake. But the noir thing, it pulls... It's got exactly... And the reason why is because the uh, the script, the original script for Who Framed Roger Rabbit was actually an unproduced third sequel to Chinatown. And it was called Cloverleaf, which is the the whole central plot with the the you know the red car and everything, and what's coming in with the highways. So I I think there's an interesting argument behind this being a more interesting noir film than uh, say, actually Chinatown. Mm -hmm. Whoa whoa whoa! <laughs> I, mean, I mean I'm interested to hear what you'll say, but you know. <laughs> no, but, but I, yeah yeah all right. I'm sitting I like for this. this. I like this Hollywood of the 1940s. I love the setting, and I feel like it's evocative in a way that uh, you know Chinatown's good, but. Uh, I mean, you say it's your one of your favorite films of all time. I don't know if, if you'd even say that about Chinatown. Oh, I would absolutely say that there? about Chinatown still. I have lots of favorite films of all time. This one's just way... Another masterpiece. Yes! <laughs> right, can't there be lots of masterpieces? But okay, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How many masterpieces are we talking here? There, There's there's probably a range of, uh, I'm just going to say 500 masterpieces. That's oh, how many wow. there are. <laughs> And then there, there's a a probably there's probably another 500 that are close to. I mean, we've had more than 100 years of film, you know, some of these. I mean, I'm just saying two of your masterpieces are based on the same property. 
Here. Yeah, I mean, what, what from uh, unproduced scripts you mean? Of course not. Yeah. What you called the Godfather and Godfather Part Two masterpieces, but they're based on the same thing. At least Godfather, but we don't need to get into it. Right, but anyway, but yeah, Chinatown is is the more serious. That's like the perfect example of a neo noir film bringing it into the realm out of the the forties and fifties Hollywood and realizing it in a more modern setting. Whereas Who oh. Framed Roger Rabbit is a send up, but it, it it does both things. It perfectly balances the you know representation of animation, you know, and all the important aspects there as well as noir at the same time, and that's an incredible feat. I find it far more entertaining than um, Chinatown, for sure. I mean, Chinatown's great. Don't get me wrong. I just think uh, there could only be one masterpiece. You you know what I'm carried... All right, we're done with this masterpiece. (laughs) I'm done. Um, You know what I found, like, this this watch was, number one, I agree with about the Cloverleaf thing. I think that was very well set up, and maybe only now that I'm a grown adult do I recognize how, like, layered the transportation is in the film and how integral it is. Like, even, like, the train or the, the motor car going through during the bar and how, like, it, it jitters and stuff. Like, we just see it affect people's everyday life all the time. And uh, the other thing that stuck out to me this time around was uh, I, I, maybe it was just the bar, but it seemed to me that all the ec- the human extras and all the human actors, even obviously Christopher Lloyd, but even you know the the random like he is my pet har my pet rabbit har Harvey like Harvey all, all those guys all those guys mm-hmm. they're a little cartoony in their own way they're a little cliche but they're they don't go to the point of overbearing they only go to the point of familiarity you know what I mean you recognize everybody everybody's in a unique suit. Um, everybody's got their unique thing. Like there's like a black guy near the chalkboard and he's like missing an arm and like you're, he's clearly something and you see it, but he's never like really dabbled into or explored just every single extra is like that. I I think that's a good, uh, you know, thing you notice about the bar there because everyone there, it's a, basically it's a group of misfits kind of hanging out there and everything is the idea and everyone has this sincere character to them you know, all the patrons and everything of that there, and that's kind of how they all flock together and gather. So when you see something like that, where you really have, you know, it looks like the director went around and gave personal attention to all the people in the background and told them, you know, have something to do or give them something, and it gives it a more authentic sense, certainly. Yeah, I feel like there's some blending there with some characters that you don't know are tunes exactly from the beginning. Uh, the, especially the main villain, Judge Doom. Yeah, I guess we can just we get can right. Spo- with... Yeah, we can spoil this movie. Right? <laughs> this thirty-year-old movie. movie? Got to. <laughs> well, no, not just that, but like, remember that escalation thing is like it doesn't end when they go to Toontown, where Eddie Valiant has like a humor arc, and when, at the very end, when he realizes he has to be funny to kill the weasels, he becomes funny. He becomes very cartoonish. It's not just. Judge Doom, who is a cartoon in the film, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. I think, uh, I think, especially neo noir, you're looking at noir for colors because you're not using just shading anymore. So, uh, the aspect of pulling from cartoon is really interesting to me. Yeah, that blending of it, they they utilize the color palette more so to you know. So, so that's a lot of the times what you do in techniques of neo noir. Instead of the black and white and harsh shadow photography you have, you lean more on bright colors to to create that same effect. And absolutely, and you get and that, of course, works out well. Yeah, perfectly. Like how Blade Runner has a very neon aesthetic going on with all the lights, but instead you get you know bright you know color palettes here with all the cartoon characters, vibrant reds and greens and all that. 
even the shading around the characters brings out uh, dark contrast. And uh, what I love about it is when the camera moves, the characters will shift perspective and they'll grow, and they're not they're not li limited to size and frame the way they would be on a two D animation. Yeah, so that's the big thing to talk about here. The more painstaking aspect of the animation that you really don't notice is all of the work that goes into integrating them into the real world with shadows and shape and where they are in relation to everything that's it's invisible it's how great it is really i think it's i think it's a little bit visible there are moments where you it cracks but okay. uh, as far as there's no other competition that's better than this okay all right can we talk about things we don't like in this masterpiece real quick sure i'm, I'm willing <laughs> yeah. to hear i i will entertain that it's not perfect <laughs> all right number one roger rabbit's kind of annoying I agree. Uh, I, I, I won't say that. I, I get behind it, but I understand it completely, of course. Where's it your sense like they... of humor? <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that not annoying to you? Nope. No. But I get it. You know, you know no, what's I kind of funny? I think it's done well. I, I want to say there is something funny. If you want to see an even more annoying aspect, the, the um, you, you guys, if you really are interested in it, check out the behind the scenes sometimes because it's really fantastic. But one of the funny things you'll see is that the actor... Uh, Charles Flesher, I think is his name, the guy who did the voice got, for Roger Rabbit. He's got Rabbit. a podcast. I don't Does know what he? the podcast is, so we can't plug it. But, mm -hmm. yeah, he, he's really funny. But but it's funny because uh, he insisted to, you know, to have a, a Roger Rabbit costume made up for him so that when he was on set, he could get into the character more. I mean, it's, I respect it's, that. It's a ridiculous thing, but if you look, you can see in the behind-the-scenes stuff, and it's hilarious. I did watch some of them before we recorded here, and they they are very interesting how they put it together. Well, when you see it with it's... all the the cutouts and everything, and them using placeholders for the characters and whatnot, I I mean it's it's hard for me to even imagine designing something like that. It's so multi layered between the producer and the director and the guy doing the animation that uh, they have to work as like a single unit in some sense. You look at modern examples like Yogi Bear; it's like holy shit, they don't even know where the <laughs> They don't even know where the bear they're fucking interacting with is. That's that's and one thing you don't know so exactly perfectly. Eyelines, exactly yeah. where his fingers will be and uh, what the outline of his body is and how it will impact his environment. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff. Their actual effect on the real world is the most significant thing about Roger Rabbit. Obviously, you think about stuff like you know just simple things like Phoebe Herman, like you know holding and moving his cigar, or you go all the way to Roger, you know smashing plates over his head like that, and it just works seamlessly in there, and it looks great. And if you go behind the scenes stuff, you'll see how they use like animatronics to to actually simulate the movement and the actual interaction with things. And then there's the mining. I don't have a, I don't have as many as bro, but I think the the part of, uh, if it if any part falls out for me, it's in the Toontown. Oh, I, I, I was gonna like say that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so I feel like it loses all sense of pacing there, and then once it gets into like the maniacal villain, it's a little too tunish for me. I, a little too ridiculous and not very interesting. I totally understand the pacing other thing. Than that, I think it's yeah. Great. I totally understand the pacing thing because as soon as you step into Toontown, it's just chaos and absolutely insane things, and nothing important happens and until you get back fits. out of Toontown. Yeah, and, and you can I, and you can see, you can do contrast in Toontown versus how they do it in the rest of the film. Like, Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse's moment is way worse than Donald Duck and Daffy Duck's moment. Yeah, Donald it's... Duck and Daffy Duck actually have a physicality, they match their personalities, and there's sort of mm -hmm. like a fantastic moment that's sort of, you know, magical, and it's one of the reasons to see the film. Meanwhile, Bugs Bunny and, da uh, or Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse... 
Mickey Mouse's character is basically like, ho, ho, yeah, go ahead and do it, bugs. And then, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a joke. It's, it's just... It's very out of character for... Yeah, it was, it's very out of character for Mickey in that moment, and they don't they don't match well personality wise or contrast. It's in I agree that the the Daffy and you know uh, Donald moment earlier is far better at doing that same thing. I feel like around the time this came out, they were kind of positioning Roger Rabbit to be the new face, the new Mickey Mouse of the company. No, no, I don't think that was that was it at all. This was a one off thing. You know, Roger Rabbit was. I, I, uh, I think they wanted it to be much more because they they let a lot of Disney properties into. It's this. a well, Disney they, they production. Did, they did, want, they did want a uh, TV show with Roger Rabbit. That was what Bonkers ended up becoming. Oh, um, that's. Hmm. Yeah. Wait, am I wrong? Okay. I don't know. It might be, but uh, I, I'm, I would I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure it was. It, then it became a police procedural joke thing. But like, they—I I don't think they wanted to push him as the new Mickey Mouse or anything. Certainly, but, like not. I did yeah. think they cared more about the character than what ended up becoming of him. Mainly because I definitely he was think they. <laughs> I definitely think they wanted to franchise him out and make him into a thing that didn't really take. It would be nice. I mean, like, but only I would love to see Roger continue on as like more more of those cartoons that you have at the very beginning, that Baby Herman cartoon. I would have watched a series of that as a kid. They, I bet they have like three or four of those. Right. I think there's. They did more. make some more after this. I think a couple of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like a full thing. I know. Like he doesn't. He didn't become a big brand. Like he has like a ride in Disneyland. But I think that's about where his. You know, uh, influence. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> for for Disney's twentieth anniversary of Disneyland, they brought him out, and they were like, "This is the big thing. This is the next Mickey Mouse," and nobody was interested. I think he's only interesting in this movie, um, and that's fine. I, I wish they did more. I mean, I I don't think I'd want a sequel to this particular movie. You know, anymore. Oh, than, I do. No, I th- I think it works so well as a contained thing, as a contained story, and again, the reflection on. The cartoons, you know, the history of that, and as well as noir. I think if you do any more than that, you're just going to have diminishing returns. I think you could take it into a different setting. Uh, maybe not noir. Maybe go western or go something uh, different than noir. There's it, a specific moment. Th- this is the only mo- other moment I don't like because I actually do like this movie. This is a fantastic movie. It's maybe should I say it a masterpiece? But <laughs> <laughs> but the only other moment that got me was uh, the film's really strives to set up um, Eddie Valiant's drinking problem as his defining, you know, way to cope with his brother's loss. And, like, that's what he's going with now. He lost his sense of humor, blah, 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 blah. But uh, they use his alcoholism for him to stumble upon the main plot. Did, did you yeah, get... that's a little rough. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not portrayed as rough, but I noticed it this time around. And I was like, oh, wait one second. That's really, really bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I was vaguely annoyed, but I'm an alcoholic, so I will be. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic too, so it's you know. <laughs> right. I'm surrounded by alcoholics. Yeah, <laughs> that's how you end up on a podcast for uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Well, I think it, it is interesting. It's one of those few. Uh, almost unavoidable plot contrivances kind of come along, but I think that's bound to happen, especially in a, like a noir story like this. Like, shit usually just happens. I remember, like, famously, uh, Raymond Chandler's, you know, said, like, one of his solutions to writing was that, you know, if he didn't know where his story was going, he would just have a guy with a gun enter, you know, and that's how you end, like, the chapter or whatever. He didn't know what the guy was going to do until later, but that's how he, because, you know, he had deadlines to meet with, you know, uh, like, split up into serials like that. 
Well, that makes sense. You have to introduce a conflict and create a new scenario. Uh, I feel like this does that okay. I I really don't like Toontown, but uh, after that, I feel like it also falls off until it gets uh, all the characters back together. Like, uh, we don't even have a modern equivalent of that. We have, like, Wreck-It Ralph and Space Jam. I, I was going to say, the other thing that's really special about this movie is they probably can't make this movie ever again, at least in, like, <laughs> the foreseeable the culture. The closest chance they that's had... Why I really like it. The closest chance they had it, to do something similar was, like, the most immediate comparison was uh, the Happy Time murders last year, uh, which was... Not at all what this is, and it, well, I think it, I think you could have with uh, Disney's uh, Wreck It Ralph too, because they brought in all the Disney properties and they wanted to filter them all together for, uh, but but it was all princesses. This well, was again, it, it goes back into familiarity and stuff, where it's like, what was the movie we you just said right before Wreck It Ralph? What was it? Oh, uh, Happy yeah, Space Jam. Or... Oh, Happy Time. Uh, Happy Town Murders. The reason why nobody saw that was because people were alienated by it, like. There is a nice juxtaposition between puppets and puppets doing raunchy things and, like, a procedural thing. But you need to stick to something that audiences won't be alienated by. Like, have like having your main, like, this is the funny moment to buy the ticket is a puppet having sex with another puppet. And that's that goes back to the Bakshi Cool World thing of, like, this is not what we wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think we have uh, such a rights issue now. Like, uh, even Detective Pikachu just giving a Pokemon a hat is kind of a big ask for companies. So you'll never see anything like Roger Rabbit again because companies don't want their characters around cigarettes and sex. Yeah, yeah, they gave... Uh, because they don't want Detective Pikachu to be hard-edged, they gave him coffee. Coffee was like the the line, you know? Yeah, right. C- cigarettes <laughs> is the next line, alcohol is the line after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this one doesn't really worry about that as like Betty Boop handing out uh, camel filters. Right. But what's an interesting thing is that like you don't see Eddie smoke too often. I don't think you even see him smoke. I think you see him get a cigarette from mm. kids on the back of the car, which is its own kind of weird thing that Disney probably shouldn't have done, but I don't think you actually see him <laughs> smoke it at all. Like I don't I don't recall then seeing him smoke you it. You have like a you have a lot of like lucky strike propaganda in the background stuff that I really like that that evokes a different time of like Hollywood and 50s 40s. The the background is a whole wonderful world of the film as well that's, you know, going on, especially in the beginning where they're establishing the integration of tunes and, you know, regular world going on here, and that's where you get all your easter eggs and things. You see like the Fantasia brooms hanging out in the background walking what around carrying buckets of water. What is your favorite easter egg? Like what is your favorite like oh, that moment right there? Oh, favorite like that moment? Like mm. what, do you My- mean like Go, go Mine ahead. is I'll give I'll give I'll give my example and then you guys can follow. Okay, right okay. Up. My favorite moment is Goofy. The moment they're in the movie theater and Roger Rabbit is like, mm-hmm. Goofy's the best cartoon. And I'm like, that that moment makes complete <clears throat> sense. You know, Goofy's physicality and Goofy's everything is what Roger Rabbit wants in a cartoon, and that's what we as a general audience think of when we think of cartoons. And it sort of mythologizes Goofy in a weird way that we don't see of Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse, or any of those. You know what I mean? That's that's my favorite moment. I, I think that's an interesting way to look at, it, especially if you look at Disney or not, sorry, um, Goofy as a contemporary star, like alongside Rogers, who someone who he idolizes, looks up to. Not, not uh, just that, but it's also interesting. I, I just remembered this: is Goofy, Goofy as a character, is an actor in mm-hmm. things. 
like uh, in like that, yeah. the, the the short they were watching was a George Geef short. Like when that starts, it starts as Goofy starring as George Geef. So he functions in cartoons like Roger Rabbit cartoons function, and that's mm-hmm. very interesting. I think there is actually Goofy smoking in that scene. That's probably like the only instance you see of. Significant smoking in the film is Goofy smoking. Like that. <laughs> that's so weird. It's yeah. weird. Goofy's about... cigarette short is fantastic. I would recommend everyone watch that. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, let's see. My favorite moment. Mm, that's such a hard one. I'm trying to think. It's also hard because I've watched the movie last like a month ago, so it's not as fresh in my memory as your guys. <laughs> oh, oh! I thought you could talk about it from. The I memory. can. I'm, I thought you I'm were recalling. super confident. <laughs> I you am. watched it like a month ago. I know, I know, but still, like details and everything all blurs together, and I'm trying to remember like more, more, more detailly things. Um, I, I think I, I love the whole scene in the bar where Roger's hiding out, and he just wants to make people laugh like that. That play for any that here, here's a good detail. And when he goes up and he's making his speech about how important it is to make people laugh, he literally gets up and stands on a soapbox to say it to make his speech. <laughs> it's a literal soapbox. <laughs> My daughter's been doing that a lot lately. She gets up on her little stool and gives speeches. It's fantastic. <laughs> she likes to lecture the dog from the stool now. It's mm-hmm. important. It is. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, if you don't have that leverage over the dog, how is he going to know that you made your point? Did your daughter see the Roger Rabbit or no? Uh, she saw like the first half of it. That's, that's she, probably the half you want to like show it? her. Uh, no, it, it doesn't have a lot of good music for her in it. Uh, it's not as good as Frozen for her. <laughs> I mean, Frozen is a masterpiece, so... (laughs) (laughs) She would say so. I I will say, if you were to show her any half, it's definitely the first half. If you show her the second half, especially the ending there, you'll probably scar her. Like, that's going to do her in for sure. I know it did for me when I was young. Like, Judge Doom in the end is absolutely horrifying. I don't don't really like him that much. I had read an interesting tidbit, maybe that's an Easter egg, that uh, they had interviewed uh, Tim Curry to do the part, and he was too terrifying. And I think that would have been a better uh, movie. I like Christopher Lloyd a lot. Like, he's one of my favorite actors. So I'm really glad he's Judge Doom here. I think he does the nice yeah, balance yeah. between cartoony and Nazi Gestapo straight face. And it's mm-hmm. a nice balance. That's, I think he's really oh. great at that. And I agree with you entirely there, bro. Tim Curry, I think he's he's too dramatic. He's too flamboyant as an actor. You wouldn't get that, that straight-laced, you know, kind of cold, chilling characteristic that Christopher Lloyd gets so well here. Yeah, you may have only gotten the evil part of it and not the um, the, the double-sided nature. Yep, and that's kind of the chilling aspect of his character all throughout the, the first half of the film, which works really well. But uh, I don't I don't have a lot of specific moments. I mean, there's it's the whole accumulation of Warner Brothers and Disney animation stylistically that really does it for me, that I feel like I'm watching a Tex Avery film combined with a... Um, with a Walt Disney film, which that's really special, and that's why it could never happen again in my mind. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Certainly, there's there. I mean, it was a pain as it was just to get. I think with all the people involved, especially having Spielberg, I think on board <laughs> producing, that he's the only man who would have been able to get together enough people for that. I think the closest I mean, thing we'll get is like what when he did similar, getting all the rights for Ready Player One and everything. But yeah, and I mean, I mean, I mean imagine Ready Player One and Wreck It Ralph, and neither of those can really capture the style and sort of presence that cartoons in that era and in that moment mattered. Like, having Chucky and Freddy Krueger in your video game movie is fun, 
but it doesn't capture that sort of animation style, doesn't capture that same sort of magic. CG um, definitely removes a lot of it, but it's also sort of just like how they look and function that really they're, makes this film special. They're like working off uh, just one framework of how something could look instead of taking on the different elements of style. Like Roger Rabbit himself is a, like such a composite of old Disney style and Warner Brothers. Yeah. I, I like that about it the most, I think. And he specifically is also a composite of the, the various characters of it. And, you know, that might be why his characteristic works somewhat for some people, but maybe like Bro finds a bit annoying, is that he's, he's basically a conglomeration of all of the, the major animation characters. But I think, I think as well, another element that uh, lends, you know, that sincerity to Roger Rabbit is that they they're treat all of the people they're bringing in, all the different properties, as the actual characters they are, whereas in something like Roger Rabbit or, you know, Wreck-It Ralph, as we've been comparing, they... They're intentionally not representing the characters as they usually are. Mm. Yeah, like a, a video game player pretending to be the Iron Giant is a completely different thing than the actual Iron Giant. You know what right. I mean? Right. Or like having any of the various characters show up and they, they are actually representing the characters they are. And you make it feel real, like this world, like all of them coming together and being here and part of this. It feels genuine. And I, I like that it's hand-drawn on top of live-action. That's the probably the most important reason it works. Yeah, I think there's there's certainly, you know, we're going to have that, that old man complaint again of how, you know, all the old technology is better and all that. Everything looks better on film, blah, 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 whatever you want to say. I, well, I don't think it is. I, I just think that you need a really good artist to make CG look anything like as handcrafted as uh, hand-drawn animation. Mm -hmm. If it's not Pixar, you're screwed. I mean, there are moments in modern animation that still work, like uh, Cuphead really looks like a Fleischer cartoon, the Cuphead video yeah, game. Cuphead's, that looks fantastic. Cuphead's dope. Yeah. yeah. Like, I love it, some it's Cuphead. It's possible today to do these things, but it, it's, it's just a matter of the money versus how effective it is, you know? Well, Cuphead also is hand-drawn. It's just a, a lot of that composited together, and it, it can still be done. You just have to do it. Well, I think a lot of it as well is the foregoing of that kind of style, that, that classic animation, that flawed way of doing things. You know, we want to, in the, the age of capable of doing anything, we want to make it as perfect as possible and pristine. And, you know, we don't like all <laughs> the little prints. Same thing you'll see with, like, if you take a look at stop-motion animation, you know, go look at any of the old Aardman uh, animations, you see all the fingerprints and everything on them and whatnot, whereas... I like that, yeah. yeah. And it gives it all that character like that and detail. Kind of and, touch. and you like feeling it's real, but you don't get that as much with CG. It's, you know, you can look at a CG thing and it feel nothing, because it's, it's kind of devoid. I mean, it is unreal, and it's like the DreamWorks style of everything being like kind of polished over and looking too absolutely perfect, that it doesn't look like a human was ever involved in its creation. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's what also lends it, that's why Roger Rabbit, if you made it today, it wouldn't work as well, because you would be able to tell that how it does not integrate at all into the world, and, you know, again, it, it so perfectly does here, you know, not even uh, again. What are we... What's that? What are we looking forward to, like a Space Jam might be the next thing that's kind of similar? See, the other thing I was going to say is, in contrast to, like, Space Jam, Space Jam... It, it just wants to sell you on what it is. Like, Bugs Bunny and all those characters are going to be in their basic 
flanderized sort of like eh what's up doc forms and roger rabbit just tries to seam them into the narrative already so they're not trying to like a movie like roger rabbit did not want like want to push the sort of very specific your despicable suffer and suck attached moments they just mm. wanted you know they wanted the presence and that's completely different than space jam just trying to play looney tunes hits you know I, what I mean I'll say this as well. I don't know if Roger Rabbit would have worked as well if Roger was not an original character. You swap him out with Bugs Bunny or somebody else there, and then you're going to have those flanderization moments where you have to feel the need to hit their you know, memorable aspects over that, and it's going to overtake the, char- the, the characterization you're trying to build. Like, like David, uh, I saw Space Jam like two months ago, Fresh in my mind, masterpiece, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. I watch it every two months, and I I think it, it it holds up somewhat, but I mostly annoy my wife by loving that film. I, uh, it's got a good soundtrack. I'm pretty sure Ezra would like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I have to see it again soon, and I have to try and not let my personal bias influence. But I think that's also a large reason as well why I, I will give a pass to anything on Roger Rabbit is because I love so much about it and all the way, and I buy into everything it's giving me. I'll say like if I have one thing I don't like, it's it's Bob uh, Hoskins' performance of the vaudeville stuff in the finale, like the song. I, I, I don't like Bob ha- Hoskins like yeah. that much in this film. He does a serviceable job. I was actually going to say one other thing. Um, I, I did a test audio for this podcast. I'm I'm shading the fourth wall here, but uh, <laughs> w- when I read the script's dialogue, there were a lot of jokes in each sentence. There was there was a joke or there was a punchline every sentence, and. When it goes into actual film, it was very hard for them to land those. I'm not saying they needed to, because Hoskins, for instance, in the movie theater, needed to be sentimental and serious when he talks Mm -hmm. about his brother dying. But every sentence in that monologue of his brother dying is a joke. You know what I mean? uh Uh-huh. I I get that, but him selling it straight, that's the important aspect for his character the whole time. I think what's really impressive about Hoskins' performance is that something probably people don't realize is that Hoskins is super british he's he is not an american actor which you do not get from watching this he he channels but you into would that get that from the super mario brothers movie i mean yeah. put this all full circle baby <laughs> well well i wonder which movie he you know cared more about acting properly <laughs> probably mario brothers because that's uh, more authentic to his uh to who he is masterpiece mario, mario. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so are we doing uh, Space Jam or Mario Brothers for our next one? Um, I, I was going to say, when we went on Space Jam, it actually reminded me of a recommendation for anybody listening or you guys. If, if you guys wanted to see a movie like Roger Rabbit, where it's like the, the animation mixed with the human thing, I would recommend Looney Tunes back in action. Um, it was, yeah, I was thinking about that. It was directed by Joe Dante of uh, Gremlins 2 fame, and Gremlins 2 is a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> Although I think if you want like the perfect example, I think Paddington Two is better than anything for humans combined with the uh, animation. Well, it's not I even seen Paddington Two. I, I I'm inclined to disagree because Paddington Two is not the same thing as what Roger Rabbit is really. Especially, you haven't really watched. I watched it. I was at but, your house and I in, saw it. <laughs> back in action matches the sort of like co- comedic back and forth between human 
and cartoon, and it tr usually avoids greatest hits. Joe Dante is a very great filmmaker, and so uh, I'll it was, say, it was great. I'll say my argument is Paddington 2, you don't think about it. Here you have to spend a lot of time thinking about what a technical achievement it is, whereas Paddington 2, it's like you just accept the CG. Well, because it's intentionally trying to not be you know, animated as much. They're trying to make Paddington look as real as possible. He's not a cartoon character in the world. He's a bear. It's a very different thing what's going on there. Uh, I know, and I think you accept that a lot better than you do what's going on between the characters here. Well, because you have to do a lot of mental thinking about what that is and what they really achieved and how that actually came together, which I think makes it, you know, a little bit less. I don't think you have to. Certainly through the eyes of a child, a child who's watching this is not thinking about that aspect, the painstaking process of it and being wowed by it. But I don't think that takes away from it either. I have no problem just immersing into the film and enjoying the story for what it is and the character interactions without even thinking about the technical stuff. And if I am, it's in the back of my mind or, you know, it's, it's very passing thought. Yeah, you know, this came out like a month before I was born, and it, I kind of grew up around it, but then I didn't watch it for about 20 years, so uh, maybe it was approaching it just as an adult that I had to see that. You you definitely have a different perspective on it, depending on what age you see it kind of throughout your life, but uh, I find that it never has a hard time putting me back in the mind of a child and making me feel that kind of wonderment feeling. I'm just, you know, I'm sucked into the world of the, the tunes here. I like it all. Brody. Yeah, do you have any other final thoughts on the film you want to chime in with here? Any any uh, claims I to said, masterpiece? <laughs> um, I just agree. I agree with the feeling. I used to watch this movie over and over again when I was a teenager. I don't know why. This was just one of the greatest hits for me. It was it was like Clue or just it was a yeah. Big mm -hmm. Trouble in Little China. Those movies like made me feel very positive. Um, so I, I'm e like it's very easy to look over its flaws, and that's probably why you think it of it as a masterpiece is because you want to like this movie. This movie is so easy to just like, you know, it's effortless in that way. Ab absolutely, and I think any uh, you know, like I said, the technical achievement alone wants me to makes me want to call it a masterpiece, and everything else just makes me love it even more. And so, you know, I, I'm more willing to when when I see something achieve such a great as you know thing like that achievement you know willing to to sideline any issues i don't think any film is quote-unquote flawless but you know uh this is definitely falls in the category of me what i call like chicken soup movies as well where if i'm just kind of in a bum mood or whatever i'll throw one of these on to make myself just you know perk up and feel better about everything i could watch this film any day over and over if i wanted i think that's how i feel about something like uh in a more modern sense spider-man that it invented something it's hard to invent something and be good at it at the same time usually it's the second or third some something that does it yeah I, yeah I think i think that's a good comparison in that aspect is that both of these films were very original in their approach to what they're doing doing something totally I mean, unique and knocking it out of the park before before this we had like what it was like uh like song of the south was probably the first one that had like the integration of uh uh, animation and original uh, live action. Uh, maybe it didn't Mar want very much else integration <laughs> or whatever. I, I yeah, <laughs> uh, it's there. I, I think Mary Poppins is the one that Disney will want us to remember, kind of in that aspect. But the, yeah, that's the idea there. And hey, we even get Mary Poppins penguins in the movie at the at the bar. Yeah. That's all. That's one of those fun treats. Those little interactions that make sense. Like when you see characters like that in those roles, you're like, of course, that's what they'd be doing. Yeah, and um, 
when you see the sort of the catapid reaction of Mary Poppins, you wonder if this came back, if it would be the same. Mm. Maybe that's why they don't want to do a sequel anyway. Yeah, oh, it's one of those things where I'm I'm more against a sequel for something like this, especially. Let's preserve the magic of what it is and, you know, let it be. I don't. I can't imagine I, what... I think if it. I think if something's good, you should keep making it, is kind of my feeling about film. I, I actually agree with Calvin here. Um, I would not mind seeing another one. Why, why don't you want to see something good? Now, they could butcher it, but butchering something does not mean retroactively that this masterpiece is ruined. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, uh-huh. I'm certainly not saying that it's going to go back and destroy my childhood or anything like that. But, but I but just I, I want to encourage things like this again. Like if 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 there was ever a movie like this again, I would go see it. I would buy a ticket and go see the yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. I, I guess my my hesitance is that I don't know what else there is to do. Roger Rabbit is essentially the ultimate culmination of every animated character you could imagine from that that golden period. Bring it all together. I don't know how you would do it again. Effectively. Well, I mean, I will I will say I think this film definitely concentrated on funny, uh, comedic. Uh, cartoons like I, I I was reminded when watching it that it had like Betty Boop and the those Fleischer cartoons but it didn't have like Superman right it didn't have action or dramatic like definitely nowadays when animation broke through there are way more alternative forms of animation now and I'm not saying Roger Rabbit needed that it, it's perfect the way it is but there's definitely things to explore and avenues to go down that Roger Rabbit didn't yeah, I mean, there's so much new technique that you could put into it. Yeah. Here's what I'll say, certainly. I would, if you did a, a, a different version, same kind of idea, but with the, you know, more modern characters, all the new other animated characters that we have and, you know, are beloved now, I could be on like board with that. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah, let's get some more crossovers with the turtles. I want to see that. But uh, that's all I'm saying. Not like a direct sequel like Roger Rabbit 2 you know, in the hood or something. I don't know. I don't want to see that. I didn't see that, man. What are you talking about? I think it would be fantastic. There's a lot of 80s, 90s cartoons that I'd come back to. Um, I feel like this is all very early cartoons. Yeah, well, it totally is. That's the... I mean, because it's got that perfect blend of, you know, noir at the 40s and cartoons at the same time period. They intersect perfectly there. And I don't... You'd have to find something similar. My suggestion is make it into a Saturday morning cartoon from the '90s and make it like a, like a commercial for like a breakfast cereal. That, that, that's uh, a good take. I think nowadays there. that's how people think of cartoons. Is yeah. Saturday morning uh, era. I I actually. Yeah, I think you could do something with that around Roger Rabbit, especially. If if you give me that pitch, you bring me some Pinky in the Brain and Gargoyles and you know some some of all those people here. I would be interested in seeing that and seeing and what they do. And then they have like a scene of Japan and their anime and stuff, and Pokemon <laughs> and all that. It's good, dude. This writes itself, man. Um, I'm gonna call my agent and uh, we'll we'll have a draft ready by next week. All right, that's our that's our next project: spec script on '90s Who Frame Roger Rabbit Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> we'll discuss that new film next week then. All right, thanks again for coming on, bro. Great talk. No problem. I, I I was excited, and I'm. This was good. Open up the door. Get on the floor. Everybody walk the dinosaur. <laughs>